Last week, I told you that I was starting a series uh, this week, and, or last week, called The Life of the Gospel, and it'll kind of run into our missions month. So in your, in your chairs today, when you uh, kind of came in, you saw these little cards sitting there, and there's a QR code on, on each side. Uh, one side has our missionaries. If you look under The Life of the Gospel, you'll see missionaries, and on the other side, you'll see uh, local and short-term missions. Um, and so we put these on, even though today we're not necessarily beginning to highlight any of our specific uh, teams that are going or missionaries yet, we wanted to give it to you so you take it home and you can do the QR code and it'll have each one of our missionaries or short-term missions or our local missions that we're partnering with in the area. And you can look at, look at them and you can pray about supporting one of our missionaries. Begin to start now about that. So this month, this year, we're gonna do missions a little different. We're gonna start next week, and we'll actually have six, uh, either three, it'll be three of our local missions and then three of our missions teams. Just giving a quick update about what they're doing. You can find out information about that. And then the next two weeks after that, we actually have uh, some of our missionaries. Some will be here by video, some will be here personally, and we'll be able to communicate and find out with them. We have a new missionary as well this year that's starting out, so we're real excited about that as, as well. So begin to, begin to pray, go on and look at, see what we're doing, and begin praying, asking what God would do as we would begin this month. Uh, it's, part of the, it's part of the series of what we're doing. It's the life of the gospel. Last week, we talked about the life of the gospel as it relates to my purpose, uh, as it relates to how we live our lives. When we live out our lives in the power of the gospel, where we understand the realities of what the gospel has done, if we understand the realities, it also impacts the purpose in which we live and how we go about and live our lives. Today, we're going to be talking about the cost of the gospel. That's why I warned you last week. Uh, some, some may not want to look at the cost. The, the gospel, a lot of times I think we think of the gospel, we think of church, we think of all these things as, as something that we do when we come in and we receive and we receive and it's all about us. And the reality is there's a cost in following Jesus. And if we're talking here about learning how to follow Jesus and the realities of the truth of the text, then we need to understand that there is a cost in following Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at that. We'll be looking at some passages that aren't always fun to look at, um, but it'll be important for us if we're going to continue to grow in Christ. So I've been really excited about, about that as we get started. But before we do any more, let, let's take time and let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to, to enlighten us today. Father God, we come before you this morning, and Lord, I just pray. I pray over the, over the text. I pray, God, over the, over the message that Jesus had for those who were following him. Uh, the text tells us in, in, that there were great crowds, and how amazing is that? And yet, Father, many just followed for many different reasons, and the reality is that Jesus was just up front. He talked about the cost of following him. He talked about the realities of the gospel. And Father, if we understand the truth of the work of Jesus Christ and the reality of the gospel, what else would there be? We would need nothing else. For in Christ, who is our life in him, we find all that we need for life and godliness. And the Father, the realities of the truth of that has so many ramifications in all the different aspects of our lives. 
So God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. You go past all of, of my own iniquities, shortcomings, and, and inabilities, Father, and that you would speak to us, your people. That, Father, your spirit would move, and it's not just the ideas of, uh, of, of people or, or ideas of mine, but, Father, that, that we would see the truth of your word and it would speak to us that we might not walk in, in darkness, but we would walk in the light of the truth of your word, that you would be glorified in all that we do and say. It's in your name we pray, amen. So this morning, we're in Luke chapter 14. I understand last week I confused you all by saying many times the wrong chapter I was in, and people were going, texting each other going, where's he at? And then so, um, and, and last week it was Acts 26, by the way. But this week, we're in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. So if you will, if you have your Bibles, please turn there, and we want to take a look at this, at this, at this chapter, at this, at this passage. If you will, look at verse 25. It says, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them, look at verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if we were to stop there and look at that, we would, many of us would have a very difficult time. Uh, I mean, doesn't, what is, I think is it the fifth commandment tells us to love father and mother. It seems like contradictions. It seems like so much here. But before you get to that, think about the text. Think about what's going on here. It says in the very first verse, he says, now great crowds. I mean, great numbers of people. How awesome would that be? How exciting would that be? I mean, can you imagine... um, um, thinking, well, gosh, man, we have all these people. Uh, what could we do? How, how great of a ministry? What would be the opportunities? I mean, can we continue to grow it? Um, all of those kinds of things. I mean, it'd be a great opportunity. And it seems that as the crowds were growing, what does Jesus say? He turns to them and he says very fortright, if anyone comes to me, and does not love or does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if you were one of the disciples, how would you react? Like, (laughs) wait, can you imagine them? Like, hey, that's not a real good PR move, is it? I mean, like, Jesus, you're, you're, you're turning them away. They're, they're wandering away. Wait a second. Think twice about that. I mean, leaders today and politicians and, yes, pastors, we, we desire the great crowds, right, so we can do more, so that there can be more be done. There can be more that can be taken place out there. And Jesus turns and he confronts and he says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And the reality is, and you can feel it in the room, the weight of that is very real. And Jesus never compromises truth or who he is for a popular response. Understand that. He doesn't... He doesn't tell us truth that fits our liking. 
He tells his truth that our liking might be like his. That he loved his, the people so much that he was so concerned about the great crowds and who they were as individuals. It wasn't the, the size of the crowd, but rather he was concerned about the quality of the person who was following him. When we talk about the gospel and the life-changing transformation of the truth of the realities of the gospel, that Jesus in his sacrifice for us and dying in our place, that in his reconciliation of bringing us together to the Father as he redeemed us from sin and death and brought life and he delivered us from iniquity, the ramifications of those realities should move us in an understanding of who we are in Christ. And that's why he says this in verse 6. I want us to be clear. <laughs> I thought about this, and I thought about this so much. And uh, this morning, I was like, okay, Lord, you know, it really, is this, is this really the right message? Is this a message we want to hear? And it's absolutely the message we need to hear. That we need to be clear and understand that this message doesn't necessarily grow the church, but this message strengthens the church. When we understand and totally learn the realities of the gospel and that we're to follow Jesus and that we understand that, that here today that those would hear the words of Jesus and follow him and grow, it will surely strengthen the church. That Jesus brings a message of cost about following him and it's ultimately about the death to self. And the reality is that as we hear these words and we begin to look at them and we, we're gonna dissect them here in a second and look at that a little more, when we hear these words, it is a it is a a moving or working of the Spirit of God in our lives to, to, to take out the impurities of our lives. It's like a goldsmith. When he heats up gold, and as he's heating the gold up, the impurities rise to the top. And as they rise to the top, he takes a skimmer and he skims them off the top of the gold, that the, that the gold might be even more pure, that the gold might be be, be used in a, in a worthy way. And Jesus brings a message of cost to our individual lives and to the church because Jesus knows that when we understand the reality of the cost of following him and the cost of the gospel, that it strengthens us in our lives. It causes us to grow, but it also shows us that the that there's things in our individual lives and the parts that we live. And it's like we, we look at and we go, well, I like this part of the gospel, but I like this part of my life. And that one's mine. I'll give this one to God, but, but I'll keep this one over here. And the reality is Jesus says, yes, even if you love your own life more than me, you cannot be my disciple. It's a message that that instructs us. It's a message that 
confronts us. It's a message that brings out the reality of following after Jesus and the cost of it. It weeds out false teaching. It weeds out false followers. It weeds out a weakened church and it strengthens the church. That as our heart and the heat of life and things begin to heat up, it brings out those impurities in our lives when we realize the message that is given in regards to the cost of following after Jesus. As God skims those impurities off of our lives. You see, Jesus isn't about spiritual hype. He's, in about, he's into spiritual health. Jesus is more concerned about where you're growing and following him than he is all the hype that you want to bring into your life. It's a, it's a message that is important. And if we're going to understand the realities of the gospel and we study those things and we, and we read it, and it's all exciting. But if we don't understand the realities of the cost of following Jesus, it weakens us and it weakens the church. So many things going through my head right now. I'm sorry. I think the biggest thing I want to tell you this morning is the reality is that how God oftentimes takes these texts and he pushes me through the ringer in the process. Uh, I, I will not lie to you. Probably one of the what, uh, roughest weeks of my life or difficult weeks of my life. Seemed like every time I sat down to work through this passage, things were happening and the reality is to stand here today and to challenge you about the truth that is here in this text and the importance of understanding how it grows us in Christ. That you need to hear this message. You need to be challenged by the message that Jesus gives here. And you need to make a decision about following him. The first thing he tells us there in verse 26 is, is the cost of self. The reality is you're not gonna be able to follow Jesus and follow yourself all the time too. You can't do it, it doesn't go together. And so he says, and he uses the word here, hate, and in our culture and our times, when we think of hate, we think of detest, of, of hatred, of, of pushing away. And really oftentimes in the Hebrew translations of using this particular word, it gives a content or contains notes at the, at the foot of hate. And it should be understood to, to, as this idea to love less by comparison. When we, when we think of, of a love-hate contrast and we pair it together a lot of times, we see these extremes. And oftentimes in the literature of its day, when you put them together, many times it's not speaking of terms of affection and disdain, but of greater love and lesser love. And so really when you look at it and you really begin to read this passage, what Jesus is talking about here and our emphasis and the way we look at it is, hey, really what he's talking about here is he's talking about love. What he's speaking about is his love that we would have for Christ, that where Jesus would be in our lives, he's not teaching outright hate for one another. He's teaching about priorities of our love. He's teaching about understanding who we love and, and who we love more. Anyone who loves their father on earth more than their father in heaven does not really fully understand the reality of the gospel.
I was um, as a young boy. I never met my birth father, and and I was adopted and and uh, by my stepdad when my mom married him, and he brought me in. And he wasn't perfect. He wasn't even a believer, but he brought me in. He gave me his name, and and he and he taught me things as a as a son, and he loved me. And it was such a major impact. And I remember when I came to Christ and later as I began to study God's word and understanding the concept of the gospel, understanding the concept of being adopted and brought in to the family of God, when I, under, when I understood those realities, it, it transformed everything about how I looked at the Father. I loved my dad and I loved him and up to the day the Lord took him home when he, came to, he did come to Christ. But I, I, I loved my dad, love him to this day. But I never loved him over my father in heaven. Because if you understand the love of God in the gospel, nothing on earth compares. I love my wife and she is so dear to me. And she loves me. But there's a love of the father that even transforms that. Even to the reality of how I love my God impacts how I love my wife. The gospel gives life and it places us in to the family of God. And the person that gets that and understands the love of Jesus, that it's more than just a relationship on earth. Some of you have been through those relationships where because of your love of Christ, you've been impacted in those relationships. I remember for me, it was, it was when I was in my, from my sophomore to junior year in high school. I had accepted Christ when I was like 11, but the worst things I did in my life was after that. Isn't it amazing? And yet God was moving and working in my heart. And I started realizing that if I was going to really, truly follow after Christ, if I was going to take his word and learn and grow it, that I couldn't continue in the path that I was with these, these friends that I had. And I remember I began to share with them that I wasn't going to do that anymore and I wasn't going to do that anymore. I began to share with them of, of my faith and what I was beginning to do in my life. And I realized it just separated. It separated because they didn't have anything. to. In fact, I can remember one guy just laughing at me when I told him that I was going to church. I was learning the word and I wanted to, I wanted to follow after God. And I never forget, he just laughed at me. And I, and I was young in my faith. I didn't know how to respond. But I knew I had to make that step because I knew who I was following. And from then on, he didn't really want to have anything to do with me. I've seen it happen in families. It wasn't long after that, I led a friend of my friends to Christ. He was so excited. I was using my Bible and I was sharing my Bible and going through the gospel. And he goes, I don't have a Bible. And I said, here, take mine. And he took my Bible and he went home and shared it. The next day I saw him, he comes up, my Bible's all messed up and tore. I was like, what happened? He said, oh, I got kicked out last night and they just threw your Bible down on the, I go, no, that's your Bible. <laughs> you need the word of God. You see, when we begin to make a decision that Christ is the one that we're gonna follow and nobody else, my, my mom, my dad, my children, my friends, my own spouse, they're not gonna direct me away from the truth of God's word. I'm going to follow after him. I'm going to walk step by step after Jesus. I'm going to follow after him. And nobody's going to deter me from that. 
because I saw the gospel and I saw the realities of what Jesus does in our lives through the gospel and the work of Jesus and my life has never been the same. And the reality is God, God demands it all. When we we love our parents, we love them and we love our spouses, but my love for Jesus has to be preeminent. And that's what he's saying in verse 26, that my love for Jesus has to be preeminent. In fact, if you look at the very last phrase, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If, If you had any questions about what Jesus was saying to that point, there it is. He's made it crystal clear. Think about it. And think about this. Like, who would even demand such devotion? Are you crazy? I remember Sam, a guy I worked with and put in sprinkler systems, sharing the gospel with him. I've shared about him before. And following me around, and I remember him calling me a fool. I remember him saying all kinds of, like, why would God want that from you? How can that be? You're too smart. I mean, like, who is worthy of such devotion? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself, Jesus. Jesus is everything. He's my all in all. And when you have Jesus, you have everything. You need nothing. That's why he demands such devotion. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. The gospel calls us to a death of ourself and a life in Jesus Christ. It moves us from death to life. It moves us from from what we think life is all about and it moves us to life as God has instructed us in the scriptures. And when you have the gospel, you have everything. That's why that description of Wide is the road to destruction, and narrow is the road that leads to life. To travel the narrow road is hard. Why? Because it demands that you die to self. And that is so counterculture to the world that we live in today. But it demands that we die to self because you cannot live for self and truly know the blessings of God. You cannot live for yourself and truly understand the kingship of God. You cannot live for self and push for self and truly understand the realities of the gospel and what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ. It is a full surrender to the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and it leads to life. It leads to abundant life. The gospel comes at a cost. And I'm not going to, I'm not here. I, you know, I know terms like I'm pastor and all that. I'm, I'm one of you. And I don't stand here and walk through this because, oh, this is really fun or all of that. Nobody wants to tell others, hey. But the reality of the truth is that the gospel comes at a cost and fundamentally that cost is yourself. God isn't just going to accept you the way everything is and all we're just, you know, we want to put God on all these wonderful pictures and all-inclusive, all da-da-da-da. 
No, God demands him to be preeminent in our lives. And to understand that, that the moment that we die to self is actually the moment that we truly begin to start to live. That life is in Christ. Our life is hid in him. And he is our life. But you don't understand that until you give up your life. Some of us may struggle, and I know I do, I struggle with some of these things. I'm finding myself constantly going, oh, okay, yeah, God, you can have that. But I'm still kind of hanging on this over here. I want to hang on to my anger. I want to hang on to my, my things that, that I feel have been unjust. I want to I I feel good about this. I want my life to look like this. Yeah, Lord, I'm not real comfortable you, you having me live in an in a sub, what I call a substandard way of life. Now, I'm not gonna give that up, Lord, but I'll give you everything else. We play those games and I pray to God, God, expose those areas of my life that I'm still holding back from you and I'm not giving up. Expose them. Allow those impurities come to the surface, God, that you may skim them off. And I know it's hard. I know it is. It's hard to talk about it. But by the grace of God, as he works in our lives, those things begin to change in our lives. Because when we die to self, life begins to be lived in the way that we could never have imagined. And I found that to be true over and over and over again. That God's way is right. In the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 24 and 25, I have a slide up there. I think Jesus said it this way. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. What do you mean, remains alone? It just remains a seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It, it produces much, much starts coming from it. Otherwise, it's just a seed laying there on the ground. But once it dies, it begins to bear fruit. And using that same illustration, he says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's a distinction there. There's a distinction of understanding who we live for. That if you're here this morning and you've received Christ into your life, there's a, there's a path, there's a way of walking life, and it's after Christ. That the preeminence of God in our lives needs to be foremost. Isn't he sovereign? Is he? Yes. Dear people of God, is he sovereign? Is he king of kings? Is he lord of lords? Does he bow to anyone? No. Then why should he bow to you? And when we hold back, we're asking God to bend to us. You see, there's a cost. And the key is dying to self. The gospel comes at a cost of self. It also comes at a cost of following Christ. He goes on and he says in, in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be his disciple. Again, bearing your own cross, it's just under Roman rule, you, you would hear the, the idea of cross and immediately you would think of death. The, co the cost of bearing your own cross then is in following Jesus, it involves difficulty. It involves sacrifice, it involves humility as we put to death ourselves to live for Christ. 
What happens when I grow by faith? When I grow my faith in Christ Jesus in the word? What happens when I grow in the grace of God? When I grow in, in his love and the sovereignty of Christ? What happens? I begin to loosen my grip of this world and I get a tighter grip of God's word and the things of God in my life. I begin to lessen the passion for the things of, the, of earth and, and I heighten this passion for eternity in my relationship with God. It diminishes my love for self and intensifies my love for Christ. That's what happens as I die to myself. We as individuals in the church need to understand that the cost of following Jesus Christ, that if you actually live for and follow Jesus Christ, if you, if you stand on, with conviction on the truth of God's word, it will come at a cost. If you live sold out for Jesus, it is not going to be easy. I don't care if you're in school. I don't care if you're in your job your community, your own home, your own family. It's not always going to be easy. But what an opportunity to live for Christ in a world of chaos and darkness, to be lights in a dark world. I mean, Jesus is up front. Look in verse 28. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost. There it is. Count the cost, whether he is, has enough to complete it. Verse 29, otherwise when he has laid a foundation is not able to finish it, all who see begin to mock him. You wonder why people mock Christians who seem like they say, hey, I believe in God, but they have nothing in their life that indicates that God is working in their life and the world mocks Christians. Think about that because they didn't count the cost. They didn't count the cost of following Jesus. Hey, we all want the blessings of God, right? We all want those blessings. We all want God to come down and make our whole life easier, smooth, worry about all of those difficulties in life. We all want God to do that. We want God to give us peace and comfort, but we don't want to give anything in return. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. Don't deceive yourself. Don't be deceived. Verse 30 saying to this man began to build and was not able to finish? Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. You see, Jesus is up front. He tells you, hey, sit down, count the cost. Count the cost of following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, that is your reality because you understand the cost of the gospel and of self and following Jesus. Why is that important? Because Jesus is not into lukewarm Christians. He's not, in, he's not into half-hearted affairs, dear people of God. I don't want to say those things, but I don't want you walking out of this room being deceived either. I don't want you to think that Christianity is just something you throw in your pocket and you say, oh yeah, I got it. It's a life to live. And it's where life really begins to, to happen. It's where life really begins to take place. 
It's in the, in the quality of understanding the realities of the gospel and how it affects our life. And it isn't just something that we tack onto our life, but it becomes our life because Jesus is our life. In fact, I'm so convinced that right now our adversary, Satan himself, is afraid that the people of God would grab the truth of this text. Because he would, what would the church look like if it loved nothing more than Jesus? If it died to self and followed after him? What would happen if if the church lived in such a way that we became less and Jesus became more? What would happen? What would that say to the world? Forget the world, what does that say in our relationship with God? I don't live just so that the world knows. The world knows because of how I live, because of who Christ is and what he's done in my life and the transformation through the work of Christ in the gospel that my life is different, but I'm not perfect. I'm still learning and I'm still growing. And when the opposition comes and difficulties rise, you stand on firm on Christ, not trying to protect a way of life because you stand on the truth of who God is. And he becomes a stabilizing factor because it is Christ and Christ alone. And God's people must follow Jesus as God intended it, as he's told us in Scripture. Let's quit playing around, dear people of God. There's a cost. And we need to count the cost of following Jesus. And we need to bear our own cross. And just as the, as the builder of the tower had to calculate, just as the king had to think about that, which, that king that he was going against, we need to understand the cost of, of self and following Christ. And look at verse 33. There's a self-sacrifice. If you're not sure about what Jesus has said to this point, verse 33, he clears it all up. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There it is. Look at it. You got any questions about what Jesus is asking? The kind of commitment, what he's calling us to? You got any questions? The word there to renounce all that he has in the Greek literally can be translated, says goodbye to. Isn't that hilarious? It says goodbye to, meaning don't trust what you have, but to trust in the Lord. You see, trust in Christ who is my king. Trust in Christ who is my life. So I am able to say goodbye to the things of this world because of the realities of the truth of the gospel that I have everything that I need. It's what Paul did in Philippians chapter 3, if you're familiar there, where Paul lists all of his accomplishments as a Pharisee, all the things that he had accomplished. And he turns around and he says, I count them all as nothing. I count them as rubbish that I might know the surpassing greatness of who Jesus is and the power of his resurrection. I count these as nothing that I might know him. And I want to say, dear people of God, if we're going to follow him and you're going to understand the cost of following him, it's the same that if you understand the realities of 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 the gospel, there is nothing compared on this earth. It's like the man who, who, who began to look And he goes to a field and he finds a treasure. And he sees the treasure. And he goes and he sells everything he has that he might be able to buy the land. Because when he has the treasure, he had everything he needed. 
And it's the same with Christ. If you understand the realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you give up everything because you understand that you have everything in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That man didn't come across the field and see the treasure and go, oh, do I have to go sell everything? Really? All right. Let me go. I've got to go sell everything. Yeah, maybe I'll, yeah, the treasure's nice. He didn't do that. He willingly sold everything. He gave up everything that he had the treasure. And Jesus said, unless you renounce it all, you cannot be my, demand, my disciple. And when you understand and you see the treasure of God in his son through the gospel, you will give up everything to obtain it. There's nothing in this world, there's nothing that you can, you can possess that can compare to the glories of Jesus Christ and the infinite and eternal value of him. You will give it all up. Do you see it? It's not trying harder. The more you understand the gospel and what Jesus has done and the, the cost of self is nothing compared to the glories of Christ. Back in the text, you remember the example of the tower? And there he's talking about, hey, sitting down and counting the cost. It's interesting. One, one theologian I read described the second illustration, the second example of the king coming out to battle. And he only has 10,000. The other one has 20,000. And if he can't, can't win the battle, then he should go out and, and try to make peace, right? And he described that one as setting down and counting the cost of not following Christ. And the reality is, is when you begin to look at it, the cost of following Jesus is significant. Don't get me wrong, it's very significant, but it's temporal. But the cost of following, not following Jesus is eternal. There's an eternal cost. There needs to be an evaluation of not only following the cost of following Jesus and understanding the temporal aspect of it. Yes, it's significant. I'm not going to tell you it's not. But in light of what we have in eternity through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's nothing. But that cost, that cost is permanent. It's eternal. You see, we are so focused on the present but eternity is what really matters. How important is it that we count the cost to learn of the, the immense riches that we have in the gospel and the work of God's son, the, value, the infinite value that we have in him. That's the gospel that we know, learn, and grow, and proclaim. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, just speak to us, your people. I know, Father, that in John chapter 6, and Jesus was speaking some really hard and difficult things. And many of the disciples that were following him at the time, they were following him because, Lord, they just wanted, they wanted food. They wanted manna because he was, he was doing great things. So they were following him, wanting life to be easy. And Jesus told them, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. You... And Father, they didn't understand that it was hard. They didn't understand the spiritual aspect, Father, that just as they ate and drank physically to survive, they need to eat and drink spiritually to survive eternally. 
And yet the text tells us that many of them no longer follow Christ after that because the sayings were so hard. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move about us, not, Father, that, I, that any would run away, but that, Father, we would understand the reality of the gospel and that, Father, we give our lives. And Father, we open up your, ourselves to you cleaning those impurities out of our lives and, and turning those things away that we so much want and hang on to that don't bring glory to you, that aren't, Father, part of what you intended for our lives. And Lord, you just, you just, you just begin to purify us. Show us those areas and may we, Father, willingly give them up that we might be counting the cost of following after Jesus. As we, Father, learn to follow after him, there are hard things to understand and to learn and that we need to, need to be confronted sometimes. Be easy on us, Lord, when you do. Sometimes, Father, we need to just be enlightened and instructed. Father, just move among us your people and teach us for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.